Death has been a topic that has been, you know, a philosophical concern for a very long time. And it is a very peculiar object to look at because it is absolutely without any object whatsoever. So in a way, reflecting about death is a reflection upon our own ignorance because death cannot be subjectively known at all. We won't experience death. We don't have, you know, some people who are able to describe what they went through when they were dead. And so not having an account of that makes us like just face an object that is without experiential kind of reference. My name is Brian Hayden, and this is Redesigning the End, a podcast about the decisions we face at the end of life. For this show to work, I've got to get the tone right. So this is an episode where we start to lay out the precise language and mental models that unlock productive conversations. Jean Proust is going to lead us in this conversation. She's a philosopher. She's an educator. She lives in New York and teaches philosophical ethics at Fordham University. So... Here comes the Cliff Notes version of the philosophy of life and death. So very often we ask ourselves like three main questions in philosophy around death. So first of all, we would ask ourselves like descriptively, are we able to define what death is, even if we cannot describe what the, the, the death experience is, because, you know, that's problematic per se. Then the second question would be, like, is death really such a bad thing? Would immortality, for instance, be more desirable? So that's kind of like more of a normative perspective on, on death. And also, how should uh, maybe the knowledge that I am going to die indeed affect the way I live my life? And one philosopher that definitely has been saying something about this is Epicurus. And he does say that we don't experience death and therefore we shouldn't be afraid of it. And here I have a quote where he says, familiarize yourself with the idea that death is nothing to us. As all good and evil lie in sensation, death is the complete denial of the latter. Thus, the sore that is most thrilling is nothing for us, since as long as we exist, death is not, and that death is where we are not. So according to Epicurus, if you may say, being dead, the very expression just doesn't make sense. You can be afraid of dying as like a lived experience, but you cannot be afraid of being dead because you won't be here to feel any pain, nor remorse, regrets, or whatever to, to make you feel that state because you won't experience that state at all. Another thing that has been, you know, pointed out by philosophers regarding the fact that death might, you know, not be such a bad thing is the fact that immortality actually sounds like a nightmare. And if you ask people very often, the first round, you know, of like people who are being nice would say, yeah, immortality, sure, that sounds great. But after a bit of thinking, more time, obviously, is not the same that endless time. And I'm not sure that there is an activity out there that we can imagine doing forever. And there is this quote by Susan Ertz that I really enjoy where she says, millions long for immortality who don't know what to do with themselves on a rainy Sunday afternoon. And it's, it's the boredom is definitely one of the arguments here. Uh, but also, and I would say more importantly, you know, with unlimited time, really there would be no urgency to do anything. And the fact that our time on this earth is limited is actually the ultimate incentive to act. Death creates urgency to act, really. And so it makes, it gives our life more meaning 
and not and, and not the other way around. Like you know, a lot of people would say that death actually makes our life meaningless, but it is precisely death that makes our life meaningful, in the sense that it uh, creates value eternally. It allows us to maybe reflect on what could be a less superfluous life, what could be a more authentic life, and uh, you know, contemplating our own mortality in that sense. And the futility of much of what we do actually prompts and reinforces the question of how we should live. So we recorded this back in April. And at that time, Jean's roommate had recently passed away, really young. And that experience caused Jean to rethink a lot of things, including how she teaches. So Morgan was my roommate for, for three years. He, he died last week at age 26. And, and definitely, you know, one of the first things that comes to mind is just how unfair uh, this terrible, you know, accident was. And it, it was just very interesting for me to notice, uh, first of all, that the way I've been used and trained as an academic to think about death was very much about my own death. So that's why, like, therefore, the inaccessibility of the experience, etc. But there is comparatively way less said about something we do experience, which is kind of paradoxical, because here there is some matter for reflection, which is really the, you know, the badness of death when we lose a loved one. And, and that the fact that philosophical reflection here about mortality did not really affect in any way my experience of, of loss. It just came very useless in a, in a way, you know, you don't experience death on a first-person perspective. You don't really feel like anything on like a third-person perspective, kind of the death of the stranger, the statistical dead, you know, unless it takes like actually the scale of a pandemic like this. That's when like the third-person type of like death is actually still touching us in a way. But really where we do experience death is the second person, the you die, you the loved one, you, the person I knew, you, the person who was also part of who I was. And that's what makes the experience of the death of the loved one so painful because it pulls out really a piece of me. This was the first time I lost a friend and he was and Morgan was not even one of my closest friends. I mean we didn't grow up together, but we, we shared quite a few moments together over the last three years. But now, really, my, my, the look I have at my friends has changed. And I think that's something that needs to be, maybe like, maybe it's not actually the role of philosophers to, you know, to dive into that. Maybe it's the role of novelists. So it's funny to see also the limits of language altogether. Maybe it's not really something, a failure of philosophers, more than a failure of language, you know, altogether, when it comes down to things that are very, very subjective, extremely emotional, the vocabulary, the tools, the conceptual tools that philosophers have, which are meant to be objective and universal, obviously, you know, tend to uh, not be uh, not be very efficient anymore to grasp the reality that we try to describe. So after reflecting on the emotions of losing Morgan, how will Jean change the way she teaches? I will definitely try to make it a point to just uh, address the question of loss and I am actually, I feel, I feel very sorry for not, for not having done so earlier. Because now I realize that I must have like given that class many times without thinking that some people in that classroom could actually be affected by the, 
coldness that philosophical discourse might have or might you know yeah might might kind of convey sometimes and it's just it's just really too bad and I feel extremely just you know I, I feel very stupid <laughs> today to not have been able to verbalize that but also in a way because I didn't experience it myself I would have probably felt kind of like unable to even you know talk about it because I didn't know I mean I lost both my you know I lost I lost grandparents but I never really had you know that same experience that some I'm sure at least certain students must have gone through of like losing someone, you know, at a young age. And so I felt like I disregarded this experience together as unworthy of philosophical reflection, which is something that I definitely want to remedy to in the future. This period of time where you're grieving, and I think it never really stops, but it's just like, it's absolutely unpredictable, like the waves where the pain is going to hit is absolutely unforeseeable. And sometimes you can feel kind of just numb the first like two days and then all of a sudden, you know, maybe a week or two after, you're gonna be just submerged by pain. This podcast recording kind of arrived at a moment where, where I think it does good to just try to think of these things objectively, try to just like put words on it as, you know, to clarify at least what I'm feeling is something I think that helps. So thank you for that. Denial of death is something that is, you know, fairly recent in our Western societies. This, like, embarrassment or even, like, rejection or disgust around, you know, the material aspect of the corpse of, of death. And, you know, that can translate into, for instance, the fact that, you know, death became kind of like a technical decision uh, and the initiative really belongs to the medical institution at this point. The fact also that cemeteries, for instance, are built now outside of the cities, whereas before they were intramuros, the fact that incineration also develops a lot, and also the fact that post-mortem post rituals uh, have changed. So now we are facing situations where condolences are very limited, that uh, grief like shades off as a phenomenon, as a social phenomenon. And even I would say that excessive manifestation of sadness could even be considered embarrassing if they last too long. And so that's, you know, a question I've been asking myself, like if we can, you know, consider that this repression of the pain experienced by the relatives, you know, when they're facing the death, not their own death, but the death of others, might, you know, make that trauma of losing someone, you know, worse. And also making or confronting our own death even harder, possibly. So how do we seek out big, interesting conversations about life and death without making it weird. Death is definitely something that should be maybe just more of like a banal, almost trivial topic that we should share with maybe our children. Not obligatory at too early age, but like pretty quickly, I think. And it is funny to see that children have such a curiosity about death from a very, very early age. And that's like kind of like the first metaphysical question, I think, that we all asked ourselves, like, what is death? Where is, you know, where is grandma? But just the fact that the topic is out there, I think helps a lot. And, and the fact that it's coming from loved ones and not only from philosophical books might also be of great help. Here's my attempt at having a banal conversation with my three kids. So what do you guys think happens when you die? It's like you have a heart attack Your body sucks up. while going blind while going deaf, while not being able to breathe. <laughs> okay, that got dark. <laughs> while, while, while not being able to move at the all same time. 
And then you usually fall over. And <laughs> <laughs> you don't it's usually die standing details. up. You don't die standing up usually. <laughs> if you're interested in learning more about Jean Proust, you can find more information on the website redesigningtheend.com. She teaches at public events that look incredible, including a recent event teaching philosophy at Rikers Island. Thank you to Pat Couples for recording this interview and for contributing his original music. Additional music was provided by Hotels and Highways. Heads up that on February 10th, we're hosting an event called How to Host a Virtual Funeral. The presenter is Ian Kelleher from Gathering Us. Gathering Us is sort of like the go-to virtual funeral provider. Registration is free at redesigningtheend.com. If you're listening, it means you're still alive. So I hope you enjoy it. Do you think it's weird that I'm making a podcast about death? Yeah, in fact, that was my first reaction. Uh-huh. Um, I think that <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's definitely weird at first. Once I listen to your reasoning, though, it makes a lot more sense.